Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Praise the Lord. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Austin, I'm going to switch over here. Amen. The book of Romans. If you've been here recently, you know that I've been in a rather long, lengthy series called The Marks of a Disciple. The Ten Marks of a Disciple. This morning I'm going to continue in that series. And we're going to talk about this mark of a disciple is that a disciple is eager to share the gospel or the good news. Romans chapter 1 Verse 14 begins like this. Reading from the New Living Translation this morning, so if, you, if your Bible doesn't match up, it's on the screen. The thought is the same. Paul says, For I have a great sense of obligation. Everybody say obligation. I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. I am eager to come to you in Rome to to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Some of you might hear it like this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The Jew first, and also the Gentile. Verse 17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Father, take Your Word this morning. Lord, penetrate our hearts. Challenge us. And Lord, I pray that God, that You would change us by it according to Your Spirit, Lord, that moves through it. I praise You and thank You for Your Word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, when you think about a real disciple, you also have to think about evangelism. Sharing the good news. But when you hear the word evangelism, sometimes, unfortunately, you think of something else. You think of a guy walking around with a bullhorn telling everybody they're going to hell or carrying a sign that says, repent, Jesus saves. Some of you might think that evangelism is someone who who gets into your face and quotes a bunch of scripture and talks really fast, like you're standing on the car lot getting a sales pitch. Some of you may think of evangelism as some campaign that the church puts together that you go door to door and knock on the door, you know, and you just wait to see who's going to answer the door. Some of you think that evangelism is just what Billy Graham used to do in these massive crusades and and people would give their heart to Jesus. When we think of evangelism, we think of a lot of different things. We think of sharing the gospel. We think of a lot of different things. But what I want you to think about is I want you to think of it in terms of Jesus. Think about sharing the gospel in terms of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't go around condemning people for being sinners or condemning people to hell, but He never shied away from the truth that was shared in love. 
Jesus didn't go around and distance himself from everybody who didn't hold his beliefs or follow his lifestyle, but he did make a plain distinction between the two. Jesus didn't have a memorized pitch. He didn't have a memorized sermon that ended with a high-pressure question of, do you want to know me? Do you want to give your heart to Jesus right now? Instead, what he did was he related to people on their level and he gave them room to consider their, the offer of following him. Graciously, Jesus moved toward people. He visited, he spoke to the down and outers and the up and comers alike. It didn't matter who you were, Jesus would talk to you. He would initiate the conversation. He would start the discussion about no matter, it doesn't matter what it was. Jesus constantly was engaging in people. And if you are a disciple, not just a believer who says, oh yes, you know, we think Christ is, is who he says he is and I go on about my life. But if you are a disciple and the love of God flows through you and in you, then you should want to tell other people about Jesus. You should want to know about evangelism. You should want to know how to engage others and to share the good news that has transformed your life. You see, Jesus gave us a purpose statement. And He said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, He said, I, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. That was His reason for coming. There was a time when we were all lost and we needed to be saved. And some of you may be here in this room this morning and you don't know Jesus and you're lost and you need to be saved. And this is not a high-presser pitch for you to come and to, to, and, to, and to give your heart to Jesus. There's no pressure, but I can tell you it's the best decision you will ever make in your life. Just ask the people who are amening right now. Jesus' purpose was to come and to save the lost. And He gave us that same purpose. In Matthew 28, 19, He says, Therefore, go and make disciples. Go and do exactly what I have been doing. Hey, follow me. Hey, follow me, Peter, James, John, Matthew. Hey, follow me, Bartholomew. Hey, follow me, Thad. Hey, follow me, Andrew. Hey, follow me. He gave us that same purpose. That same mission, hey, go and talk to people about who, who, who Jesus is and invite them to come and to be a follower. If you're taking notes, here is something that's important. You see, a believer, the difference between a believer and a disciple is this. A believer only sees evangelism as an option, but a disciple sees evangelism as an obligation. It's an obligation. What did Paul say? He says, I have this deep sense of obligation in Romans 1.14. I have this sense of obligation. No matter who you are or where you came from, I have an obligation to them. This great sense, this great urgency burning in my heart. I want you to know that that's nothing new. And every disciple, every follower of Jesus should have this burning sense of obligation to people who don't know the Lord. Because that's who God is always, what He's always done throughout all of history. If you go back all the way to the Old Testament, you look at the prophet Ezekiel, I want you to see how important God 
thought of this of this process of his people engaging in the obligation of reaching others in ezekiel chapter third chapter three verse 17 he says this son of man he's speaking to ezekiel he says i have made you a watchman for the house of israel so hear the word that i speak and give them warning from me when i say to a wicked man you will surely die and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life that wicked man will die for his sin and notice this last line and i will hold who i will hold you accountable for his blood he's saying ezekiel you have an obligation you have a responsibility to tell people the right way to live he goes on and he says if you do warn the wicked person and he does not turn from his wickedness or his evil ways, he will die for his sin and you will have saved yourself. In other words, it's not your responsibility to save them or to force them to turn. It's your responsibility to just tell the truth. We have an obligation. And if you're a disciple, it's not an option. It's an obligation. So the question for all of us is this. Why don't more Christians tell other people about Jesus? Let me bring it home and, and land this right on your front yard. When is the last time that you have told somebody about Jesus? When, is, when was it? Why don't more people have this attitude that we have an obligation to disciple people and to share the gospel. Why is it? Why is it? You know, the most contagious people in the church are people who have just come to know the Lord. It's the truth. Time and time again, I've seen so many young believers, people who just come in and they give their heart to Jesus, and when they get up from the altar, man, they're so excited. Their life has changed. They want to go tell everybody, and that's exactly what they do. They go tell everybody that they know. They go tell their family. They go tell their friends. Hey, something's happened in my life. I'm changed. I'm different. And I'll just tell you this. If you don't have that fire to go tell somebody else, maybe you didn't get the fire anyway. If you don't have something burning in you that wants to get out, maybe, maybe you just wanted fire insurance. Felt bad for the trouble you found yourself in. But the people that are the most contagious in the church are the ones who have recently come to because they are just burning up inside. And I've seen this take place over and over in the church over the past 26 years of full-time ministry. Someone comes in, they get, give their heart to the Lord. They're so on fire. They get charged up. They can tell everybody that they know about Jesus. And people come to the church because of them. But as time goes by, they don't tell as many people, and not as many people are coming. And I believe that there, here is the reason. It's because in the church, we have a really good ministry of turning people into Yeti Christians. Do you know any Yeti Christians? Some of you look at me like a Yeti Christian. Are you talking about Sasquatch? No talking about the cooler the yeti the yeti ice chest the yeti mug the yeti coffee cup 
What we do in the church is we do this. We begin to insulate ourselves. And you come in to the church and you start hanging around with all of the church folks. And pretty soon what happens is the friends that you become close to are only the people in the church. And you've insulated yourself from your other friends because those friends, bad. Church friends, good. And you become a Yeti for Jesus. I'm righteous and holy. Thank God I'm not like my friends anymore. Man. We become Yeti Christians. And what we do is we insulate ourselves We insulate the fire that's in us from the cold outside. We insulate ourselves in such a way where space becomes so wide between us and the world around us that we can't hear them and they can't hear us. Unfortunately, in the church, what can happen is we develop big brains and small hearts because we know a lot of the Word, but our heart doesn't feel the obligation to share the Word with the world around us. Over time, what happens to those new believers, as I've seen, is they lose their ability to be an effective witness to the world around them. I want you to listen to Jesus' plan. In Jesus, Jesus said in John 17, He says, My prayer, as He prayed to the Lord about His disciples, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus said, I don't want you, to, I don't want you to, 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 to remove them from the world. I want you to protect them from the world around them, for they are not of the world. Even as I am not of it, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth your word. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now the question inevitably comes, because I know parents that are worried about their children. You know... Thank God, they're, they're out of the world. And, and, and so we've got to just keep them from all of those bad things out there. All those bad people. The question inev- inevitably comes is, where do you draw the line between being in the world and not of the world? Because that's the fear. And if you're a parent, considering this, well, where do I draw the line? I don't want my kids to get out there and be of the world. So the best thing that I can do is just keep them out of the world. Well, that's not Jesus' model. But where's the line? Where do you draw the line? If you want to know, here's the truth. The line between being in the world and, and not of the world starts when you can't determine a real distinction between the two. When you can't tell the difference between being in the world and being of the world, when I can look at somebody and I can see their life and I can't tell the difference if they're in the world or of the world, then I know the line has been crossed. You see, because people, some people come to, as Christians, they, they say, hey, I want to reach, reach my friends for Jesus. And what they do is they go live and look just like their friends. Well, what do you have to offer them that's any different than what they already have? When the line becomes so blurred and there is no difference, you are not following the Jesus model. You are in the world and you are of the world. But Jesus said the distinction is to be in the world, sanctified by the truth, but not of the world. 
And so you have influence on people around you. You see, we have to not insulate ourselves. We can't become Yeti Christians. We have to love the sinner. We have to love the lost as we love ourselves. Now, I know that you guys love to share good news. I've looked at your, at your Facebook and your Instagram and your Twitter. You love to share. You share your thoughts. You share your opinions. You share pictures of what you're about to eat. You share where you're going. You share your family photos. You share your vacation pictures. You love to share. Why not share Jesus? We have to learn to share. And the only way we do that is to keep ourselves from being insulated to ourselves. You see, when Matthew was asked to follow Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, he wrote this story about himself. I want you to think about this story. Matthew's writing about his testimony of what happened when Jesus called him. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, from the message, I want to read it this way because the message Bible says it so uniquely. It says, And Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus says, Come along with me. And Matthew stood up and followed him. And later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. And when the Pharisees saw them keeping the kind of, this kind of company, Pharisees, a.k.a. church people, they had a fit and they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? Jesus, overhearing, shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what the Scripture means. If I'm after mercy, not religion. Notice this last line. I'm here to invite outsiders and not coddle insiders. What a succinct way to let us know on really what Jesus is all about. You, he doesn't just come to cater to the consumers or the 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 religious professionals, Jesus came to reach the outsiders. The wonderful thing is, is that we don't have the responsibility of convincing people. All we have to do is just share. All we have to do is share. So let me just give you three things that you have to model if you want to become an effective witness for Jesus. Three things, real quick. Number one is you have to model bold love. You have to love boldly. Matthew chapter 22 says uh, Jesus gave this commandment as, as they asked him, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he replied, and you all know this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me tell you something. We can get that first one really easy because it's not, it's not hard to love God. Really. After He has done so much for you, after He gives His, his Son, after He does everything in your life, His faithfulness, His mercy, His grace, it's not hard to love a God that loves you so much back. It's easy to love God. We get that first one really, really good. I love, how many of you watch the Chosen series, the Chosen TV series? If you haven't seen the Chosen TV series, you need to watch that. I'm just telling you, it's good. It portrays Jesus as a real person. He's real. He's touchable. 
It's not some sappy, syrupy, lovey, you know, greeting card kind of Jesus, you know, that comes off. It's just, you know, got to, he's just a real, real person, God in flesh, you know. I love watching it because it displays the true, true, a, a true character of Jesus that we kind of miss. We, we, we miss that touchy part. We think that Jesus is just this, you know, this aura thing that just walks around, you know, and birds are always chirping around him, you know what I mean? It's a great series. I love, to, I love it because it shows us the love of God. It's not hard to love a Jesus that's portrayed in such manner. But the question is not about loving God. The question is about loving others. It's the second part. It's not the first part. John 13, 35 says, All men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. It's easy to love God, but loving the person down, the, down your row. Even maybe the person sitting next to you, that's the challenge sometimes. And I get an amen. But let me just tell you, the quality of that love that you express to your neighbor is determined by your willingness to step into their life and to help them and to care for them and to spend time with them. That expresses the quality of how much you truly love your neighbor. There is a practical element to it. Loving other people is the most costly, inconvenient thing you will ever do in your life. I can think of nothing else than to try to love somebody else that will cost you more than loving another imperfect human. Loving God will cost you nothing but lifting your heart to Him and saying, Lord, I'm yours. But loving other people requires an incredible amount of service and inconvenience. So why aren't most people evangelistically bold? Hold on to your seat. Because here's the reason. It's because we love ourselves more than we love other people. The reason why you don't tell people about Jesus is because you love you more than you love them. It's the truth. It's the truth. We focus on our comfort. We focus on our compassion, our, our, on our happiness. We insulate ourselves, uh, and we only go around the people that don't need us. We only like to be with the people who don't ask us for anything. Come on, I'm talking to you now. And why? Because we love us. It's, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. I want to be around people that I'm comfortable with all the time that won't ask for anything. They don't need anything from me. And that way it won't cost anything from me. Do your neighbors... Do your co-workers, do your people uh, that, you, that you frequently often see, do they know you as a person who truly loves them? You see, love will always require from us more than what we naturally want to give. And I just have to confess, I haven't always done that. I don't think there's one person in this room who hasn't, who at one time or another has chosen to love themselves more than the person that really needed it. 
14 years ago, I was, Shannon and I had just come to Denton the year before, and we were planning this church, starting this church, starting from scratch. And so we'd come across a family, and the family had, had decided to, to come and visit our church. And, and uh, one, this family, he was, he was an elderly man, and I went to his house, and, and I was just visiting him. I was just spending some time with him. And as Charles began to talk, we had a great conversation. And he said, he said, Pastor, he said, I just wonder, he said, I've got a friend, and he's in the hospital. He's in the hospital. He doesn't have any family in town. He, he, and, and Pastor, he's not, he's not in church. He said, I think he went to church at some point, but he said he's not in church at all anymore. I was busy with a lot of things. I knew that my time was pretty, pretty restricted. But Charles said, hey, Pastor, would you go by and see him? Would you just go by and check on him? I said, sure. He told me the hospital. He told me what room or floor he was on. And so I pulled up into the hospital. I walked inside. I went upstairs, knocked on the door. Walked into a room, a guy that I totally never knew, didn't know, had no idea. Stepped into a room. He, he was kind of shocked. I was like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to draw blood. Not a nurse. I told him who I was, and I sat down next to him. And we began to visit. Over the course of about an hour, we talked about everything. Everything from where he used to live to the Marines, to everything. We talked about all kinds of stuff. We even talked about church. Started talking about the Lord. And I said, I said, you know, I, I know that I was told that you were in church. And he began to explain. He said, yeah. He said, he said years ago, he said, my mom raised me in church. And he said, I got away from it. got away from it. And I came to a church. And he said, I attended one here in Denton, but I, you know, just kind of, church kind of had some problems and he said i just left he said i just i'm just not he said he said it's probably it's probably wrong with me but he said i just he said i just have have a problem with some of that he said i know that the, he said but i i know that i know that god you know he he would be willing to straighten me out and i said i want to pray with you this morning and i said i want to just ask the lord to just speak to your heart I want I want the I want I want you to get back into that place where you know that you're right with God. He said, "I want to get back right with God today." As he lay there with with his leg propped up, he had major blood clots in his legs. They had told him they said this could hit your heart, you could die like just like that. And we began to pray and he prayed that prayer and said and, and just basically said, "Lord, I'm coming back to you." And then we prayed for his legs. And I said, Lord, I just want you to confirm this today. I want you to just remove all of these blood clots from his, from his legs in the name of Jesus. And I prayed that prayer. Now, some of you know who I'm talking about. You know why? Because he opened the door for you this morning when you came in the building. That was George Hayes. That was George. 
He came back to the Lord right there in that hospital. The Lord healed him from all those blood clots. Why? Because I was just wanting to just be boldly loving somebody. I didn't even know him. I had no idea who this guy was. Let me tell you something. He's no more fa- There's no more faithful person in this church than George because he loves God. And that moment, that moment changed him. It was bold love, bold love. Let me tell you, when you love boldly, God does something amazing in people's lives. The second thing that you model is you begin to model bold influence. Bold influence. Look at Matthew chapter 5. It's, a, it's something that we hear all the time. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give its light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What does salt do? Well, we know salt preserves. Salt preserves things. It preserves the the salt of, of your life could preserve someone from the wrath of God. But salt also does something else. Salt gives flavor. Salt brings to life the taste of of, of the food. Let me tell you, if you are the salt of the earth, you should bring flavor to the people around you. So what you have to offer, they don't want to go try something else. There's not anything else taste. They want to know that what you have is the best thing out there. That's the salt. You are salty. But you're also the light. The light illuminates the reality. If you are the light, you illuminate the reality of someone's current situation that they're in. That's what happened with George. I said, hey, you know, that's, you're not where you need to be. And he saw that. The light came on and it illuminated. But here's something else. The light also makes beautiful things visible. You can have the most gorgeous flower and the most gorgeous painting or the most gorgeous work of art, but if the lights are turned off, you would never know that it was even there. But what the light does is the light exposes the beauty of of things so that you see it with its full color and vibrance and you see, wow, that is a gorgeous, that is so beautiful. That's what you are. You are the light of the world. You show the beauty of Christ to everyone. If If you had not been there, they would have missed the beauty and the glory of Christ right there next to them. That's what the light does. I don't normally tell people I'm a pastor. I'm, when I'm out in the, in the community, I don't tell people. I, that's not my first approach. When I walk up and say, hey, man, I'm a pastor. When I first met Akeem, that's, I didn't do that. Hey, Akeem, I'm a pastor. Okay, big deal. I had a guy ask me just recently this past week, hey, uh, you know, because I've been talking to him on a regular basis, you know, we go to the same gym. He said, so hey, what, so what do you do for a living? I said, I'm in the restoration business. <laughs> I said, you know, things are broken. They need to be made completely new. I'm into that kind of business. Really? That's cool. That's awesome. You see, evangelism doesn't have to be complex. It just has to involve the influence of you being salt and light in other people's lives. Simply loving people 
enough to move your love into their life. That's what influence does. This week was a pretty unique week here at the church. On Monday, it was about 5 o'clock, and I'm ready to go home. And so I get all my stuff out of the office, and I go get in my truck, and I, I, I look over here, and right in front of our building, right underneath the cross, there's a car parked there. And as I'm getting in my truck, I notice that there is somebody that's on their hands and knees on the other side of the car. And I'm thinking, oh, man, what's wrong? Either somebody's puking or, you know, their car's broke down or they've got a tire problem. And I'm thinking, what is going on? And so I get in my truck and I back up and I start driving real slow right over here. And that person's still on the ground. And I see, I see hands. I'm like, what is... So I pull over there, and when I get to the other side of their car, I see there's a man who has a carpet laid on the ground, and he's on his knees praying. And I pull up behind him, and I just roll the window down, and I watch After he's finished, he hears my big diesel truck and he stands up off of his carpet and he turns around and I said, hey, is everything okay? He said, oh, yes, yes, everything is okay. He said, I'm just praying. I said, I can see that. He said, I'm Muslim. I said, I can see that. He said, I'm here from Fort Worth. I had some business up here. And he said, my app went off on my phone that it was the time of prayer. I didn't know that they even had that. We need to do that in the Christian world. I mean, come on, man. We need an alarm to go off and say, hey, get down and seek the Lord. If my people who were called. He said, my, my app went off and said that, said that uh, I needed to, to start my prayer time. He said, so as I'm driving down university, he said, something just led me to turn here. And he said, when I came up, he said, I came up the street. He said, I felt, he said, I felt safety and I pulled into your parking lot and I parked right here underneath your building. He said, he said I felt like that this was a place that I could pray. I said, well, he said, you don't have a problem with that. I said, no, no, no. I said, my only question is, did anybody answer? And he smiled. And I said, I'm the pastor. Oh, you're the pastor. And he came up and he shook my hand and he said, my name is Khan. And he said, I was just praying. And I said, well, aren't you facing the wrong direction? I said, that's northwest. Oh, no, 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 in our app, it shows us which direction to play. I said, well, you know what? I said, I don't know because I don't have to worry about which direction I'm praying. 
was a younger guy, so he was kind of getting my humor. And so as I began to just talk to him, we created this conversation. And wouldn't you know it that the conversation came up about Jesus. And for about 30 or 45 minutes, I sat in that parking lot talking to Khan about Jesus. And he brought him from his perspective, oh, in the Quran, we, we know who Jesus is, and he's this, and he's that, but he's not the Son of God. And I said, oh, that's funny that you would say something like that. And I began to talk to him from my side, and we began to go back and forth, not in an argumentative way, but in a conversation. And we talked about history. We talked about his family. We talked about my family. We talked about where we came from and what we've done. And we begin to just discuss where he is and where he is. He's from, he's from Bangladesh, and he is a full-on Muslim. He is absolutely full-on sold. And he said, I can't wait for, for one day Jesus is going to come and, and defeat the Antichrist, and there will be two and a half billion Muslims that will join him. And I said, Really? I said, don't you need to know him before you join his army? We had a great conversation before it was over. I didn't pray him the sinner's prayer. I didn't give him the Roman's road. I didn't lead him in some kind of, uh, of confession. You know what I did? When he said, hey, I would like to continue this conversation. Can I have your number? I gave him my number. That's it. That's it. I gave him my number. And he texted me before I could even make it to the light. He said, thank you for talking to me today. Let me tell you, friends, you use your influence wherever God takes He is crossing your path. And let me tell you something. With this church, I believe God's doing something special here. The Spirit of the Lord drew him here. It was an Ethiopian Philip moment where, where the paths crossed and God knew it and there is a seed that was planted. God is using you to do the same things. And you know what the Lord said as, he, as I was driving away? He said, I will bring the world to your doorstep if you will seek my face and call upon me. We got to believe that the Lord is going to put people in your path, that you can have an opportunity to just farm the soil of their heart so that the seed of God can be planted in their life. I pray one day that I'm able to harvest that seed with Khan. I pray that the Lord uses that, plants the seed, and this conversation continues so that one of these days it's not me seeing Khan joining Jesus to 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 uh, defeat the Antichrist. It's me and Khan worshiping to side by side at the feet of Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what I hope to see. Bold influence. And then finally is bold service. I'm going to close with this. Daniel, if you get ready to come. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says this. He says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. 
I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in it. That's, that's the message translation of, I have become all things to all men so that I might by any means reach some, save some. Paul says, I will serve. You see, bold love and bold influence always ends in bold service. Paul took his example from Jesus, and it showed us the major difference between a, a believer and a disciple. You see, a believer believes that the cost of sharing the gospel is just too high. But a disciple says that the cost has to be paid and I will love that person into the kingdom. You see, if you want to reach somebody to the, to the Lord, if you want to win somebody to the Lord, if you want them to know the good news and know Jesus as you know Him, you have to earn the right to be heard. For some of you, this is your first time here at Journey Fellowship. You know what I'm doing today? I'm just trying to earn the right to be heard. You don't know me. You don't know anybody else in the room. And I hope that you're not, you know, and, and no matter if you are new here or if you've been around here, when we begin to just, you know, when we begin to talk to people, you have to realize that you need to show them, hey, the old adage, you've got to, they don't care how much you, you know until they know how much you care. And so bold service makes that difference. Too often what Christians do is they think backwards. They think, you know what, I'm going to win somebody to Christ. They're going to be my best friend, and then we can get along. But the truth is, what you have to do is you have to be friends with that person and then allow the Holy Spirit to work in their life and hopefully they will come to know Jesus. Christian friend, Christian brother, Christian sister, it's okay to have friends that don't know Jesus. It's okay to have friends that go out and party every weekend. It's okay to have friends who get hammered on Friday night and don't know who they are on Saturday. It's even okay to have friends who smoke weed. It's okay to have friends who, who live an alternate lifestyle. It's okay to have gay friends. Are you all hearing me? It's okay. It's okay. You have to love the world around you. And if you can't, if you can't be friends with with the people, how do you expect to reach? How do you? How are you going to earn their right to, for them to hear you? In the ancient world, when the church was just really young, there were two things that happened. In the second and third centuries, in 165 A.D., the smallpox plague came through the Roman Empire and almost wiped out a third of the entire population. Marcus Aurelius, some of you know who I'm talking about. This. Marcus Aurelius actually died in that plague from smallpox. Just a few years later, in 251, 90 years later, 251, another plague, a plague of the measles, hit the, hit the Roman Empire, and it wiped out, uh, wiped out another third of the people that were in there. And here's what happened. During both of those plagues, most of the doctors left their profession or they moved away the families of those who got the, who were sick many many people families because they were sick and there was nothing they could do they disowned them they walked away from them and it left all of these sick people to fend for themselves but christian tradition says this 
that the Christians, especially those in Rome, where the population density was so close and the contagion plague was spreading like wildfire, the Christians stayed put. Christians that were there, they did not leave. As a matter of fact, the Christians began to serve those who were sick. The historian Dionysus writes this, and I quote, Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ and with the departed, and they departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the diseases drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains, nursing and curing others that transferred their death upon themselves, the best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. I take that quote from a book called The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark, and he says this. He said, This bold service of the Christians in the early church is what transformed the early church into what it is today. In those years, the church and the, and the population of Christianity in the Roman Empire was around 1%. But by the time in this 90-year span of Christians serving the sick in those plagues, Christianity had spread to over 25% of the Roman Empire. What happened? It spread because disciples loved other people. They served and they risked their lives to serve the sick around them. Bold service made a difference. Now, you probably won't risk your life serving somebody, but I'll tell you, it might take you mowing their yard. It might take you visiting them, babysitting for them, giving up a Saturday to serve in a food kitchen, coaching a little league team mentoring a, a child after school. It might take some of those things to serve in your community, to transform our community. It, it, you know, faith has legs. Bold service makes a difference. I'd like for us to do this. If everybody would, would just stand with me. I want you to do something this morning. I want you to just get a mental picture right now of someone who doesn't know the Lord. It may be a family member, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor. They don't know Jesus. I want you to just get a mental picture of them in your heart and mind. And I want you to begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what is it going to take for me to have an impact on their life? How can I show them that I love them? How can I have an influence in their life? How can I serve them toward you? As you have that person in your mind, maybe there's multiple people that you know. I want to pray this morning. It'll be a little more, a little different than what we normally do. I want you to just pray right where you are. I want you to boldly begin to tell their, say their name. So at the beginning, as we begin to pray. I want you to say, Lord, I bring so-and-so to you. I bring blank to you. And I want you to say their name out loud so that they, you've got their attention and you've got God's attention. And I want to pray for all of these people. 
me tell you something. There's a great opportunity. You could, you could invite them just to something different. Say, invite them to Easter. I mean, after all, Easter is a Christian holiday. You might, you might just invite them to church because every Easter, I can promise the church, and I've always done this. I promise the church, I preach a salvation message on Easter. It's not some fluffy, you know, cotton candy message. I preach salvation on Easter. And so maybe that's something you could do. Mow their yard. If they're sick, you could take care of them. Maybe they need some help with whatever. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you could make a difference in their life. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. Father, I come to you right now, Lord. Every person, Lord, who is thinking of, Lord, a person who doesn't know you, Lord, I've, I come to you right now, and I pray that, Lord, that you would just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us. Lord, I pray that today's message, Lord, would help us, Lord, to put feet on our faith. And that, Lord, that we would go into the world, Lord, and carry this message of the gospel, Lord Jesus. Lord, carrying it with our hands, with our, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, transform, Lord God, us to just be from consumers, Lord, to participants, Lord, in the great commission, Lord. Help us to realize that, Lord, it's not an option, Lord, to tell the good news. Lord, we are obligated. Lord, it's so important, Lord, that we share with our neighbors and people that don't know you, Lord, for there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And, Lord God, unless we stand in the gap as a watchman, Lord, many people will not hear the truth and they won't have an adequate way to respond. Father, I pray that, Lord, that you would take every name, every person's face, Lord, that was brought to our attention this morning, that you, Lord God, would begin to work upon their heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd begin to till over the ground so that the seed of the gospel would take place, that you would just touch them, Lord, where they are. They're, if they're at home, Lord, or on the golf course, wherever they might be today, Lord, I pray that you would just begin to speak and deal with their heart. And I pray that, God, a divine opportunity would come for us to speak to those who don't know. Help us, Lord God, to be eager to share this gospel, this good news, Lord, with the world around us. Don't let us become insulated. Let us become friends. Let us be in the world, but not of the world, Lord, I pray. Salt and light, making a difference everywhere we go. Lord, I pray that you send us forth from this church. And as we go today, I pray that you would bless us, that you would watch over us, that you would keep us, and that you would, Lord God, use us most of all to make a difference in the world around us for the cause of Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you today. Hug somebody's neck. Let's go make a difference in our world. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful Sunday. Bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.